from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast with Ryan and Jeff here. Jeff, there's so much we want to talk about today. There's a lot of things happening. This week on the podcast, we're going to dive into the Fed, the Fed rate hikes, the Fed is hawkish, the Fed is not hawkish. What does all that mean? We had some disappointing jobs numbers uh, last week maybe under the surface or peel back the onion, as you like to say, things aren't quite as bad. They're going to finish it up with earnings season. You are the earnings season guru. Earnings season is here. But Jeff, I want to start things off with this. This was not cool 2022. Danny Tanner passed away. Didn't really see that one coming. You a big full house fan or how much, how'd that one hit you seeing uh, Bob Saget pass away? Oh yeah, when I first heard it, I I didn't believe it. Right. Frankly, I knew how how young he was, sixty five. Mm-hmm. So very disappointing. Yeah, my family uh, watched Full House, the original and the reboot. Mm-hmm. We were big fans. Yeah, uh, s- similar uh, in my family. I actually saw him. So he's a comedian, as most people know. But he was quite an R-rated comedian, which is just kind of added to the humor of it because you just don't see Danny Tanner being that way. So we saw him down here in Charlotte a while back, and. It was funny. You know, I, I can't remember. It was years ago. I can't remember. So I'm really glad I got to see him. But he's just uh, just another example of um, you know how fragile things can be, right? I just got a text yesterday. I'm a basketball coach on our team. We won a state championship in Ohio in 1996, Springfield Catholic Central. I just had our 25th anniversary of that uh, state championship. Um, a coach 11 days ago was in San Antonio and at a basketball thing. And then just yesterday, passed away, got COVID and... Um, tragically passed away very very unexpected so just kind of you know the stuff we're all dealing with and just the kind of the world we're in which is really sad but um you know condolences to to rich and the family there it was a hard text to see and i know hard for a lot of people um so jeff no easy way to move forward but obviously 2022 has been rough um we're gonna talk about stock market and things pulling back let's start with first things first here um are they hawkish now the fed minutes Came out a week ago, Jeff, and it kind of kicked off all this volatility and selling, I guess, weakness, you can say, we've seen so far early in 2022. The way I grew up, Jeff, and always learned about it, the Fed minutes should have been just a summary or a review of everything we already knew. <laughs> Yet apparently, when those minutes came out Wednesday afternoon, there was something in there that somebody didn't know or someone didn't expect because yields really spiked and the stock market sold off uh, pretty hard. Um, what what was it, Jeff? What do you think was in those yields? In those yields? In those Fed minutes that surprised everybody? Well, first, I think the most surprising thing you just said is that you've grown up. <clears throat> um, moving on from that, yes, yes. <laughs> the uh, you know the minutes. There's there's three pieces to the Fed tightening, right? I mean, you could probably argue there's more than that, but there's tapering of the bond purchases, right, which they're already doing. Uh, then there's the rate hikes. And then there's the balance sheet, right? They bought tons of bonds, nine trillion or so in assets on the Fed balance sheet. The next piece is, do they reduce the size of that balance sheet by um, not reinvesting coupons or actually selling bonds? That last piece, we thought we had plenty of time before we had to worry about that. Well, guess what? Surprise, Mr. Market, uh, we might have to worry about that in the next several months. So caught the market market off guard and... um, Clearly, uh, that was a big piece of the volatility to start the year. Yeah, it's interesting because I guess the way I, when I read it and looked at it, the bond or the um, balance sheet runoff, as we call about $9 trillion, give or take, close enough for government work, uh, balance sheet, 
and then there's going to be a runoff where they lower that number. It took like three years during the last cycle after the first rate hike before they started to decrease the size of the balance sheet. And now a couple Fed members, at least supporting the minutes, opened up the idea of that happening maybe right as soon as the first rate hike, maybe soon after. That wasn't really at all what we were expecting, um, but that's kind of what potentially could happen. I mean, the truth is the Fed sees three rate hikes in 2022. The Fed obviously was very concerned with the employment picture uh, coming off of um, the recession. Now they clearly have their sights on inflation and likely again, the first rate hike. I don't know. I, I still say it's going to be May. And, you know, we're just uh, throwing out numbers here. But do you think it'll really be March, Jeff? I know it's live. They say it's live. It's a possibility. I mean, anything's possible. My Bengals made it playoffs. You know, anything can happen. Um, do, do you think it's really going to be March or May? What's your take on the first hike? Or would it maybe just regurgitate what Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist and Fed watcher, uh, thinks here, if you don't know the answer? Yeah, M March is live. I uh, Maybe I'll take the easy way out and say it just depends on the path of the economic data and COVID over the next couple of months right? Uh, as to whether they actually make that decision. My, my, my bias, I mean, I've been wrong on the Fed. I've been thinking they were going to be more dovish than they've been here recently. So probably shouldn't trust my opinion, but um, I, I do think that they want to space out the moves a little bit, all else equal. And so I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they waited until May after finishing the tapering in, uh, in March. Yeah, I'm in May, I guess, as of now. I and mean, I know there's about 80% chance of a, of a rate hike, according to Fed Fund Futures, at least after the minutes. Um, but I think you know, there's a lot of hawkishness that's out there. Goldman, Friends of Goldman Sachs just came out and said four hikes this year. Some Fed members are talking about five potential hikes this year. I, you know, obviously we'll see what um, Fed Chairperson Powell has to say here. I know he's speaking to Congress like almost like today as you and I are doing this. Um, but I think it's like they're getting some hawkishness out there, maybe just to kind of pull things back in case we hit a little bit of trouble. I mean, you know, the last time where we kind of hiked rates and decreased the balance sheet was 2018. Last I checked, 2018 was like the only negative year that we've seen in the stock market since 2008. 2011 and 15 were both flat, but 2018 legit was down. Um, so that, that's kind of something that's in the back of a lot of people's heads. So I I don't know. I just think they're kind of setting us up to um, comfort us maybe if we get a little more volatility and say, oh, no, no, just kidding, just kidding. We're not going to quite hike that fast. Hikes are probably coming, but not quite that fast. I mean, Jeff, let's talk about how this matters to people listening. You're the equity strategist on the team. When I looked at what happened last week, technology got lit up pretty hard. Yields went up. They talk about, um, you know, high tech doesn't like high yields. Explain to our listeners why that might be the case and what they should do about it. Sure. Yeah, it's it's the really the concept of time value of money, right? If more of your profits are coming further off in the future, then higher interest rates uh, reduce the present value of those future profits more. Those are the growth companies, companies that maybe don't have the big profits right now, but um, more coming in the future. So that's why you're seeing the the stocks with the highest valuations get hit the hardest. You know, and it wasn't just your speculative tech, if you want to call it that. It's also biotechs, things like that. Um, the, the, the market is just going to assess a lower value to those types of companies than the, um, uh, you know, than your sort of traditional blue chip Dow type stocks, your traditional uh, cyclical value type stocks. Um, and the other piece of that is financials like higher interest rates and a steeper yield curve. 
And that's what we're getting, right? The difference between short-term rates and long-term rates has actually been increasing uh, a little bit lately, which is, uh, you know, going to be more helpful for the banks. So, um, it, you know, lately it's been better for value uh, over growth, but the fundamentals still look pretty good on the growth side. So we're rec recommending folks have balanced uh, exposure to growth value for now and, you know, wait and see kind of how the near-term economic outlook and the COVID picture uh, play out. Yeah, I think it's a great point, right? We had a more than 10% correction on the NASDAQ last April, and I believe it was in like three, four or five days. It was like the fastest 10% correction we've ever seen in the NASDAQ last April. One of the fastest. I think it actually was the fastest. Um, and then you look back and it was like this huge year for stocks in general. So you almost forget that even happened. And it, the reason was yields were moving higher early last year and that impacted things. But eventually things come to equilibrium. Eventually buyers are going to say, you know what, that's a pretty good value. You look at the move we saw yesterday on Monday. Again, we're recording this Tuesday morning. We saw a huge reversal. NASDAQ down like 3% actually finished higher. Eventually people said, okay, well, yields might be higher. That might impact future, future earnings, whatever you want to call it. Eventually things come back in and buyers step in. And that is kind of what we saw um, um, with that. But it's a great point. We do so like those cyclical values. I mean, Jeff, my take is this. Literally last week, financials were making new all-time highs. There's like a little company called Berkshire Hathaway. Now, maybe they're not a pure financial play. I'm aware they're a conglomerate, but still a lot of financials there. They made all-time highs. A lot of banks, regional banks breaking out above their 2007 peak. Um, a lot of energy names also moving higher, breaking out. So Finergy, finance and energy were the two things that we did well last week. And I'm aware a lot of other things did not do well. But it's hard to say the end of the world is coming if banks and financials are making all-time highs, right? We have a rotation, the baton being passed, whatever you want to call it. Uh, maybe it's just time for a little bit of a break, consolidation um, in, in the stock market after a huge rally. But financials making all-time highs doesn't worry me from a major structural point of view that we're about to just uh, fall off a, a cliff. Am I missing anything as an equity strategist on the team? What, what's your take on those thoughts? I, yeah, that, that all makes sense. I was kind of struck by the fact that about 40% of the NASDAQ stocks have been cut in half. Yeah. That, that points to the sort of speculative froth coming out of a part of the market, right? There's still plenty of you know, high quality stocks, great fundamentals, even on the growth side, they're doing well. But the speculative uh, growth uh, names certainly um, have been hit pretty hard. Now, you know, next question is, well, is it time to buy this dip in tech? Maybe. We're, we're certainly thinking about it here at LPL Research. Uh, you know, the pullback isn't that dramatic yet, but um, it's starting to get a little bit interesting. And, you know, we still think tech matches the market this year, if not, maybe a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Kathy Wood stocks, obviously, they had a rough year last year. And I believe ARC was down 7% last Wednesday when those Fed minutes came out. So letting the uh, air out of the balloon a little bit. But hey, things go up and down a little bit and in investing, we know. So maybe there's some uh, potential buying opportunities, some of these names that have really, really been hit hard. So Jeff, let's talk a little bit about the idea of that first rate hike. Again, March, May, we'll, we'll see. Um, I was playing with some numbers last night using data from Bloomberg. Uh, you know, the first rate hike by itself isn't a reason to think the bull market is about to end. I just want to make that real clear. Um, I looked one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, the last eight first hikes in a cycle. Six months later, up seven and a half percent on average, higher six out of eight times. A year later, higher every single time. Now, the key concept being <laughs> a lot of these times are up 2% a year later, 1% a year later, 2% a year later, 6% a year later, 5% a year later, and 9% a year later. 
Two of those times in the, I guess, late 80s and late 90s, one was up like 20% a year later. The other is up like 40% a year later. Just said a bunch of numbers. The key concept, again, being maybe returns are kind of muted for the next year or so after the big rally. That wouldn't be the end of the world, but it's not bearish. I mean, Jeff, what, what's your take? I mean, you've talked a lot about rate hikes before and the impact on the stock market. Do you buy this? Let's say we get that first hike in March. Will we be higher a year later? Oh, I think so. Sure. It tells you that you're in the middle of the economic expansion. Now, the middle of an economic expansion can last a really long time. In fact, the last cycle, you know, you could argue it lasted, you know, eight years, something like that, right? I would still be going maybe if we didn't have the pandemic. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. So if the economy is growing uh, and typically corporate profits grow along with uh, the economy, then, you know, stocks go higher. And uh, in the middle of an economic cycle, which you're typically in when the Fed is hiking rates, maybe middle to late after a series of rate hikes, uh, the economy and profits are growing. So uh, sure, we, we wouldn't be, you'll see volatility, of course, around this adjustment. Um, so we're not totally dismissing the risk here, but uh, the, the trend should still be up, you know, not just, um, you know, the year after the hike, but the year before the hike, which we right. put in our 2022 outlook or the six months before the hike. You, regardless of which study you look at, um, stocks go higher. And the reason, I mean, clearly we have an inflation problem right now. We think it's a fairly short-term problem. Uh, clearly part of the reason though that the Fed is hiking rates is because they're comfortable that the economy is doing well. Right. And, um, you know, the job market has fully recovered. We're pretty much at full employment right now, I think most agree. Yeah, we're going to talk about the jobs number quite soon, but those are uh, some good concepts. So again, just put a bow on it. Um, the first rate hike means your the cycle is aging, getting closer to mid-cycle, more volatility makes sense. Remember, this is a mid-term year. Um, I shared a chart on Twitter last night, and it went, uh, I guess, viral, as the kids say, where a mid-term year sees a 17% peak to trough correction on average. But if you're willing to hold those lows, and I get it, we get it, no one knows when the lows really are. But if you hold the mid-term lows and wait a year, you're up over 32% on average a year later. So again, there could be some more volatility this year, but these cycles likely have more time left, as we've been pointing out on this LPL Market Signals podcast repeatedly uh, for a long time, and we think that's the case. So Jeff, another wild one about 2022 that um, I found fascinating, KFC, 11 Herbs and Spices, the Colonel, they're now selling chicken that isn't real chicken. They're selling beyond meat chicken. I'll just say this. I don't know the colonel from anybody else in the world, but I, I've seen him on TV a lot. I would assume he's rolling over in his grave to think that his company is selling chicken that's not really chicken. But I think it sums up the world we live in where, you know what? You're going to be a dinosaur. If you don't evolve, if you don't change, whatever it is, and we work with 20,000 advisors, we've seen a lot of advisors be extremely successful in this world of change that we've had just in our little financial bubble we live in, um, you know, just doing more Zoom calls or doing more different ways you communicate with people. Um, you have to change. But I mean, Jeff, you're a big fan of KFC. Let's just let's just start from the from the ground up. You like the 11 herbs and spices? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't have one near me, so I I haven't had it in a very, very long time. Yeah. I've got a Chick-fil-A nearby. So if I want a chicken sandwich, I go there. Mm. Uh, but sure, call, call me a fan. Um, I, I never met the colonel. But uh, I did. I did meet Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, at one point. Really oh, nice guy. Okay, Ohio guy, right? Yeah. So Dave Thomas, Wendy's was founded in Dublin, Ohio. 
I will be in Dublin, Ohio in two weeks with our friends from Heartland Bank. So anyway, just a little little inside baseball for you there. But growing up in Springfield, Ohio, every Monday, my dad had an auto parts store and he worked a lot. He owned an auto parts store, owned multiple auto parts stores, worked a lot. Monday night was his day off. And I remember we'd always kind of in the evening go to like the park and play or something. We'd always get Kentucky fried, just at least what I remember. We'd always get Kentucky fried chicken and eat some eat chicken out of that, you know, the big, it was greasy back then. Everything was greasier back then. Even when I remember Wendy's burgers they were so greasy back in the day. They were so good. All that grease and get all over your shirt and go play. So Monday nights were pretty cool. And Springfield, Ohio, growing up as a kid, eating, uh, eating the, Eating the Colonel's chicken. Anyway, so now it's not even real chicken. So what's happened to the world? Finger Let's looking go, good, right? Finger looking good. Let's go forward, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, we can reminisce about the past all we want. But uh, the past also, last week we had the jobs number come in. Um, widely expected to be up over 400,000. The ADP jobs report, that's the, the private company that might be uh, maybe does a lot of your guys' payrolls. I know they do LPL's paychecks. Um, they had a really strong number, over 800,000, yet the monthly jobs number, again, Jeff, which feels like we're seeing this every single month anymore, came in way less than expected. I don't, I don't, I don't say only, but 199,000 jobs, um, expected over 400,000. I don't know. I mean, that that's that that struck a lot of confused a lot of people. We we follow a lot of smart third party research. <laughs> a lot of them are throwing their hands up saying, we don't get it. That shouldn't have been the number. You've had a few days to think about it. What's your takeaway from this jobs miss that we saw last Friday? Yeah, th- this number will be revised higher. It's it's almost a certainty. Uh, we pretty much, you know, every month see positive revisions. We saw positive revisions to the prior. Uh, two months this time, well over 100,000 in incremental jobs that weren't reported previously. So that's the first point. Um, when you look at some you know, private company surveys of how many people are going to work, that, that showed a much bigger number uh, than this in addition to the ADP report. Uh, so you had, you know, you kind of came at this multiple angles and everything pointed to a better number. So uh, we would actually, the last piece of this is the household survey um, that's used to calculate the unemployment rate, that 3.9% where they just ask households, are you working? Are you looking for work? That, that showed a, an increase of over 650,000 jobs, way better. Actually, that would have even been better than consensus for the payrolls report, um, you know, the, which is an employer survey. And there's some modeling that kind of, it's almost like they guess at the number. Uh, it, it's hard to have a lot of confidence in that first release. So um, we would say something closer to the consensus is probably the real number. Uh, and then we're poised to do even better than that um, if we can get through this COVID wave, because um, I mean, companies are looking for work. The fact that we have a shortage of workers and a lot of people are quitting for other opportunities just tells you there's no demand problem here. It's a labor supply problem. You also look at wages, which are going up sharply. That was another piece of this report that points to strong labor demand, which points to a strong economy that just has some, you know, supply chain issues, some disruptions uh, that are kind of gumming up the works. Uh, great points there. A couple of things in my head as you were talking. I'll see if I can remember what I wanted to add. Um, if you look again at the household survey, right, you said 651,000 jobs created last month, actually one and a half million the last two months, just wildly uh, higher than what the government data was saying. And, and, you know, thanks to Dawson, our producer, who's helping us uh, produce this show today. You know, we were kicking around this idea before we even started saying, you know, what's going on here? I mean, 
no one no one knows. I I surely don't know, but I do know Apple just recently said they're offering $180,000 to a lot of programmers to stay. A lot of programmers are leaving, whether they go off to start their own business, going off into the crypto world, whatever it is, this great resignation is real. Four and a half million people quit their jobs in November, the most ever. I don't think they're just staying at home. <laughs> I don't think they're just relaxing, right? I mean, we know a lot of older, over 55 people quit their jobs or maybe lost their jobs during during COVID. And maybe they haven't come back, but younger people are, are getting out there. And I think it's maybe these numbers, these um, government data, they just don't kind of show a lot of people that are going out there creating, starting new jobs, starting their own things, going to smaller places. Um, so we'll see. You know, that's maybe a little more of an optimistic view of things, um, but it is it is real. And you mentioned, like I just mentioned, Apple's throwing a lot of money at a lot of smart people to try to keep them because they're having trouble keeping people. And that's a, a real world example of what a lot of people and a lot of companies are dealing with. So Jeff, but when the other part of this, when we peel back the onion, maybe it's not as bad. And you hinted at some things that weren't as bad about this jobs number, but let's talk about the ISM numbers. Last week, we had a manufacturing data piece and a services data piece from the ISM. The headline numbers missed. I mean, my goodness, the services number, I don't know if I've got it in front of me. It missed by like the widest margin ever. It came in like a 62, expected to be like 67, off an all-time high. So big miss. Yet, you said to our team in a team meeting the other day, there were potentially some positives when you looked under the surface. What, what were those? Yeah, the ISM uh, survey of manufacturers has several sub-indexes. So you really got to peel back the onion. I feel like my Peel back the onion phrase is getting overused, <laughs> but it's been so relevant here I love it. Yeah. over the last few months. I mean, it's just, you know, headline numbers bad and then the components great, right? Mm -hmm. or, or vice versa. It's just been a uh, really interesting time to uh, analyze economic data. But, you know, one of the subcomponents is prices paid. So that's inflation. So in the ISM index, inflation dropped a little bit. We've seen yep. that recently, which is great, starting to come off of its peak. It's still high. We'll see that in the CPI, which is going to get a lot of press, uh, but uh, it's coming down. And then bottlenecks, right? We see supplier delivery times. Normally, when supplier delivery times are extending, that's a good thing. It shows strong demand, but we don't. We have enough of that right now. We don't need any more. That's starting to ease. And so, um, part of the reason why these ISM headline numbers are coming down is because the the things you want to come down are coming down. It's almost like the John Templeton saying, right? The four most dangerous words in investing, this time is different. And we had these high numbers, but like you said, things like delivery time and, and supplies and prices, those components actually being higher were, were at one time kind of considered a good thing. And now these numbers are actually dropping because these components that were so, so much the issues with the supply chain issues and the pricing issues we've seen are maybe more of a positive. I don't know. My head just exploded with that. But the true story, as you pointed out, a 62 number on the services is still a wildly strong number, well above 50. It comes out to over 4% GDP growth. I mean, that's still a strong economy um, going forward. I mean, Jeff, any other final comments? Then we're going to get to the best part, I think, of today's conversation, earnings season. Anything else on this? Or we want to talk earnings. Yeah, well, last thing, the new orders component of the ISM, also above 60 and a very strong number, yeah. which really kind of takes away some of these countervailing forces that maybe make the headline um, number tough to interpret. Uh, great, great point. So, Jeff, today, as we record this, is January 11th. It is actually my sixth year anniversary with LPL research. I kind of didn't realize that. Like on LinkedIn, I started getting all these like 
congratulations on your anniversary like like a week or so ago felt like oh that's a long time from now but but it actually just happened so I guess you could say even if I got fired today I still made six years I don't think I'm getting fired today but you, you know I mean hey you never know but uh, <laughs> I'm in the clear as long as I don't say anything too stupid on this podcast I'll, I'll try to behave um six years what'd you think when you when I started you remember what was your first impression of the silly Ohio boy who told stupid jokes what would you think of me Oh, nothing but a positive impression, Ryan. Uh, I, I like the energy uh, that you brought to the team. Uh, I was probably most excited about having some help with the writing because yeah. I think at that time I was doing all of it by myself <laughs> because we were in between market strategists. So, yeah, I, I think I was probably leading the parade celebrating your uh, arrival back then. It is anybody who can make a complete sentence and put a chart together, right? That's a, no, but anyway, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's crazy. I guess this is my seven year itch year, but I, I haven't, I don't really have a seven year itch right now. I'm having, having fun with what we're doing, doing these podcasts and it's uh, everything that we do, the way, the different ways that we, we help our more than t- almost, do we have 20,000 yet, Jeff? It's almost right. Almost 20,000. Maybe we do, but it's not official. We're really close, right? How many advisors do we have? I should know this, but. We're close. Yeah, I, I don't think officially we've hit 20,000, but my guess is we do with the uh, with the next uh, report. We'll see. Yeah, I guess we have earnings. We can't, we're very limited. We can talk about with company earnings, but our earnings are coming up soon. So that number might, we might break 20,000 in what nonetheless, it's just been a, it's been a fun ride. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I was always a research guy, whatever, you know, I've really enjoyed the connecting and working with advisors and helping their clients. There's nothing more um, rewarding, I guess we'd say than when, you know, we talk to a, an advisor or their client and they point out, Oh, you guys said this, or you did this. It really helped me explain the story, try to explain what was really going on. Um, and you really helped us reach our long-term financial investment goals. That's really what it's all about. Helping our, helping our advisors help their clients here on LPL and LPL research. And hopefully you get to do it for another six years and then and we'll go, we'll go from there. But, um, it's been, it's been a fun, fun ride. So Jeff, let's move forward. Actually, you said you wanted to bring something Before- up. Yeah, well, but I don't even know. This will be a surprise to me. I said, don't tell yeah. me what it is. So well, that two, way it's authentic on the podcast. What do you want things. to bring up? I mean, that's that's pretty exciting. And, you know, I'm having my 20th LPL anniversary next year. So wow. hopefully we'll hopefully we'll do the podcast then. Hopefully I last that long, first of all. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, hopefully we can celebrate that um, here as well. But I, I think maybe more exciting than those things. I, I looked ahead to the calendar uh, and we are going to be recording this podcast on 2-22-22. How cool is that? I think we got to do something special for that one because you're not going to get that again because there's no 333-33 coming anytime soon ever. (laughs) So I think that's pretty cool. It actually reminded me of the fact that my my daughter just missed getting born on 999. She missed it by like 10 hours. Mm. I thought that would have been a cool birthday. Was so 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 ten hours early or later? Well, what was it? What's her birthday? When's her real birthday? Yeah, nine eight nine eight oh nine. Nine eight. So, so she just missed it. So your wife couldn't hold her in for ten more hours, huh? I suggested that, but she she would <laughs> I'm not sure that play went, ball. I'm sure that went re- just hold it in for a little longer. I'm sure that went really really well. <laughs> wow, that's that's pretty cool though. So anyway, so Jeff, final thing. Let's try to get back on task. We that's why we have fun with this podcast. So you guys give us the feedback you like, and we so, sometimes get a little silly on here. So we, we just did, but we're gonna bring we're gonna rain it back in for the next five minutes or so. Earning season is here, Jeff. Uh, you wrote an awesome weekly market commentary this week um, to our advisors and, and, and their clients that talk to, did, did a preview right of earning season. I'll just set the stage and hand it to you. It sure feels like every earning season we've had lately 
Um, it comes in way better than expected. I know we're looking for low 20% earnings growth approximately this time. A uh, friend of the show and friend of LPL Research, Sam Stovall, um, has pointed out that it's like, I, gee, I hope I know it, Sam. It's like 48 in the last 49 quarters came in better than expected. Only the second quarter in 2020 had a little thing uh, going on then that kind of threw those numbers off. Usually things beat. Jeff, are we going to beat again by how much? And what do you see happening in fourth quarter earnings this time around? Oh, I, sure. We, we almost always um, see S&P 500 companies beat uh, earnings estimates because uh, the, you know, even if the environment's not great, analysts lower the bar <laughs> and um, so companies can clear it. The average upside surprise is 5%. Consensus is 22% year-over-year earnings growth uh, for the S&P 500 in Q4. So the average would tell you that maybe we get around 27 uh, but there are a few reasons to think we could do a little bit better and maybe make a run at 30. Uh, first, last quarter, we were 12% above mm-hmm. estimates, 12 percentage point upside surprise. Uh, so maybe, you know, something better than five is possible. Also, we know the economy did really well in Q4. Omicron didn't affect the, the uh, economy too much until the very end of the quarter. So we wouldn't expect the numbers to be hurt really much, if at all, uh, by um by that. And then, um, you know, you had um, estimates rise uh, for the past couple of months. So, you know, when you have upward momentum and estimates, that typically is a signal of better numbers. Uh, now, the reason to be made a little uh, more concerned about uh, the amount of upside is that we've had kind of typical pre-announcements. What I mean by that is the, the ratio of negative pre-announcements to positive pre-announcements has been in line with the long-term average. But the past five quarters, it was really positive, like positive out far outweighing the negative, right? Which was a very positive signal. And we know, you know, for a few quarters there, we did 20 points of upside. Mm-hmm. So probably not going to do anything close to that. Uh, the pre-announcements are more in line with history, uh, which suggests, you know, five to seven points of upside is probably where we would, we would look um, when all the numbers are in. Oh, excellent. I mean, I know you look at earnings, like energy had like negative earnings a year ago, but they're supposed to be explosive earnings. It seems to me like what industrials, materials also, so like your cyclical value, kind of your economy getting back going, are those the areas that should lead on the upside to earnings and revenue uh, this fourth quarter? Yeah, that's where the most earnings growth is for sure. That's going to start to flip next year or in the next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're seeing some really big earnings growth numbers out of areas like energy materials, uh, industrials. Yep. Okay. Makes sense. I, I think I saw only one group was supposed to be negative. Do you know who it is by chance is it utilities or which group was supposed to be down year over year? I know one of them was, do you, do you know which one by chance? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, financials and utilities are, are sort of at the bottom. I don't know off the top of my head, which yeah. one is, uh, which one is last, but, um, you know, the big sectors, the yep. techs, the health cares, um, actually consumer discretionary is going to be a little bit soft. Sure. There's tough comparisons with the e-commerce boom um, a year ago. So, um, you know, that's one to maybe watch for potential upside uh, or at least where you have uncertainty and analysts could be off. Got it. Okay, so great stuff. So obviously, we're going to talk a lot about earnings season uh, going forward. I mean, Jeff, and we've, we've kind of hit the end of the road. <laughs> In a couple of minutes, what are you looking for this week? What should investors be paying attention to? Yeah, the CPI and PPI inflation reports are going to get um, a lot of attention. So that's, the, you know, that's probably the, um, 
most impactful date of the week with everybody so focused on the Fed. But um, we also get retail sales on Friday, which is the end of the holiday shopping season. So that will be interesting. We got a really strong, you know, two months in, in the fourth quarter uh, for retail sales. And so um, even if a lot of people pull their shopping forward uh, because they were worried that there was going to be nothing on the shelves, uh, we should still hold, you know, pretty good Q4 for consumer spending. And that's why I think, you know, five, 6% GDP growth in Q4 is possible. So don't look for a gain in retail sales. I mean, maybe we, if we get one, it'll be modest uh, just because we had um, such a strong start to the holiday shopping season, uh, but should still um, end up being a good Q4. Oh, you're great points there. So we'll, we'll continue to watch it all and talk about it. We, we will keep doing this podcast. Thanks again to Neil, our producer for stepping in. Um, or not Neil, sorry, Dawson. Sorry, Dawson. That was rude, wasn't it? For Dawson for stepping in for Neil is what I tried to say there before I butchered it. Um, but thanks for getting us out there. Um, thanks, Jeff, as always, for a fun discussion. Jeff, last thing. We got to do it because this is recorded. Chiefs are playing the Steelers. What's your prediction? I'll give my Bengals Raiders prediction next, and then we're going to sign off. What do you see? About 31-20 Chiefs. Okay, there you go. I'm just going to say the Bengals win. I could care less if they win by one point or a thousand because the curse of Bo Jackson started 31 years ago this January when Bo Jackson single-handedly beat the Bengals in the playoffs. The Bengals have lost seven playoff games since, never won a playoff game, as most people know. The text, people are hitting me up, thanks to all the advisors who've done this. It's really, really funny. Um, They say no Bengal fan has ever texted about a win um, for the Bengals because it's 1991, so of course you couldn't text back then. So I plan on texting a lot of people this Saturday about 8 o'clock when the Bengals end the curse of Bo Jackson by taking out the Raiders, which is when the curse started 31 years ago. We'll see. As an Ohio guy, I'm just used to always getting heartbroken, but I hope it happens. So everybody, enjoy your week. Uh, thanks, Jeff, as always. <laughs> the Bengals lose. I'll be crying. I might not be here next week, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be happy. I don't know. With that, everybody, we'll see you soon. Enjoy your week. We'll be back to talk about it next time. Take care. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through Opel Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL for its licensed affiliate. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor, that is not an LPO affiliate 
Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.